Are you a woman serving in the military and may require a little motivation or support? Or you have a question but not sure of who to ask? Or you just need to know you aren't alone in a male-dominated profession? Well, The Military Woman and So Much More is the podcast for you to be inspired, educated, and motivated to be the best damn leader in and out of uniform. We as military women need to share resources to be taken seriously, make systemic changes, and groom future leaders. Despite our differences, we are stronger together. Join host Sharika Labrie as she speaks from either personal experience as an active duty officer or interviews guests with a variety of successes, challenges, or expert knowledge on topics worthy of discussion. Let's build a network of military women who support each other and continue to be the badasses we are. Here is your host. Well, good afternoon where you are. (laughs) Thank you for joining us, Tracy, on the Military Women's Podcast. Please uh, tell the audience a little bit bit about yourself and where you're from and and what you do for a living. Sure. Uh, First of all, thank you for having me. Um, It's very nice to be here. Um, My name is Tracy Pearson, and I am a lot of things. Uh, I am a um, workplace investigator. Uh, I am completing my doctorate in organizational change and leadership, uh, where my focus is on uh, implicit bias in workplace investigations. Um, I am also uh, a trained lawyer, practiced for uh, about 15 years uh, in New England, and uh, I am from uh, New England and a, a Los Angeles transplant. So I live in Los Angeles, California right now. So implicit bias in, um, well, California, very beautiful. We're not too far from being in Hawaii. Uh, so you, you are a woman of many things, and that's exactly kind of the purpose of this podcast as well. We're, you know, women that do many things, and your uh, resume is very long and uh, complicated to me, being a nurse with no legal background whatsoever. <laughs> so, so I'm excited to have you on the show and really... Um, you know, give us some of the the things that you've been finding in your research for implicit bias and how it can affect the military. And, um, and just the audience, if it, any of the audience that are listening is like me, like I was telling Tracy before we started recording that I, I have not had any personal experience with with the law, with the military law, our civilian law at that besides a, a driving ticket. But um, I, I just you know, been lucky throughout my my career time that I just haven't had to, you know, be involved in any investigations. So um, there is a lot of grayness for me, and I'm sure some of my listeners who've been in my shoes before of really what the law is, because the military only deals with very specific issues. And then we're still, we're still expected to go, you know, find a lawyer in the civilian sector as well for other issues. And you won't know that until, you know, you have to actually be involved in the law. And I only know that because I've had friends who've had to be involved in the law. So this is all third party, right? So I asked Tracy uh, to be here because of her resume and her, her, her research and implicit bias, as well as she has family in the military, and she works with, uh, her peers are, are a lot involved in the military as well. And just really her take as a, a civilian attorney on, on military law and, and leadership and how, how it will look going forward with some of the, the law changes. So that was 
really a lot. <laughs> so you can take it away for whatever part of that seemed the most interesting to you, Tracy. Oh dear, that seems really, really, really comprehensive. Like we could be right. here for hours. Um, <laughs> Just you know, the summary and, part. And yeah, I mean, as a lawyer, you have to give me some some sort of you know restriction. Otherwise, I may be here for hours, and and you won't be able to interrupt me. You'll have to end the meeting. Um, I'll raise my hand if you see this. <laughs> wave at me. Um, so yeah, um, you know, my background is in 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 a number of different areas. Uh, I when I practiced law, I was I was both a, a civil lawyer um, handling matters that were not criminal, as well as a criminal defense lawyer. I also handled. Uh, um, investigations. I handled workplace investigations. I handled investigations involving uh, children um, in, in a variety of different contexts. Um, I, I represented folks in, in sexual harassment, um, sexual assault cases on many different sites, the victim, the, the um, you know, if there was a civil case, the, the plaintiff, um, I've actually done defense of, of, of cases. Um, as a, as, as a private attorney uh, who's formally practicing, I'm still licensed, but I'm formally practicing. Um, as a private attorney, I saw my role as someone who was there to ensure the integrity of the system when I was representing somebody who had been accused of something. Um, and and that, that didn't go away um, when I was representing someone who was bringing an allegation, but it, it was something that, uh, you know, my job there was to, to, to get what they were entitled to, um, what, what the law allowed. So um, switching gears to, to, that's sort of my positionality as an attorney. Mm -hmm. um, I uh, am also uh, a researcher. Um, I am a doctoral candidate. I'm finishing my, my uh, doctorate in organizational change and leadership at the University of Southern California. Um, and uh, in fact, hopefully July 15th. And um, coming up, you're going to do it. No, hopefully. It's going to happen. Crossing the fingers. <laughs> um, a, a good dissertation is a done dissertation. Uh, <laughs> um, and so um, I've been conducting a study on implicit bias in workplace investigations. Um, I, As part of that study, uh, it is what they would call a mixed method. Um, I uh, uh, did a survey and uh, submitted that um, to a variety of populations, as well as um, I'm doing interviews, qualitative interviews. So it's a mixed method. Um, and, and the goal here is to try to understand what investigators understand about implicit bias, um, how, uh, what their motivations are for doing the work that they do, and what organizational factors work to keep implicit bias in place and work to, to eliminate implicit bias. Um, when we think about implicit or unconscious bias, um, one of the things that that should shouldn't be interesting, um, but but is a fact is that uh, if you look at Google Trends, um, the word implicit bias going back to the to the first day of of President Obama's administration was not a search term of any importance in Google until um, until George Floyd was murdered. And um, that's something to, to take into consideration is that those words did not become sort of socially uh, commonplace until that point. Until wow, that so point, yeah. It's pretty yeah. recent. I mean, I, you feel like you hear it all the time. Well, I mean, I do at least. And, and maybe it is more in the cultural sense, implicit bias and racism and, and things like that. But yeah, I just, 
wow, that's pretty recent. Huh. It is. If you look at and if you look at the Google trend, uh, you can pull up the word, you can search, you can search time periods, and and it's a flat line except for a tiny little blip, tiny, imperceivable little blip, and then it continues on until May of 2020, oh. and and then it spikes, um, and continues uh, to remain at a high level. So um, understanding implicit bias and what it is, you know, it is, it's the unconscious beliefs that guide our actions. That's sort of the, the accepted definition. Um, I come at it from a different perspective because I think that when you say someone has implicit bias, um, immediately the normative majority, so typically white males go, no, I don't. And um, the fact is we all have it everyone has it. And it's because of, of science. It's because of neuroscience. Um, it comes from the brain's um, uh, desire to create patterns, to understand information, and uh, a concept called probability determination, which is taking the information it has in the form of those patterns and um, putting it to use to try to figure out how to act next. And it's an old coping mechanism that goes all the way back to trying to avoid the great big kitty that was going to eat you. You knew that the great big kitty was a bad kitty and, and stay away from it. So you weren't its dinner. And so, um, in, in understanding this concept, it was tested in a lab. Uh, this, uh, these ideas were tested in a lab and in a, in a particular study. And, and what they discovered was that the brain does pattern detection and probability determination, um, simultaneously so that it is, it is doing it at such a fast speed. It's the fastest game of blackjack you've ever seen is the way I describe it. Um, and it works in a lab when you have limited variables, but take people and put them in the, the outside world. And what happens is there are too many variables at play and the brain can't keep up with it. Mm. Um, so if I approach it from a science-based perspective and I approach it from, um, you know, what would be called, um, uh, you know, like bridges transformational theory, which is mm -hmm. it basically, I'm trying to get through to your resistance. Okay. Mm -hmm. Why is it that you don't understand that implicit bias is a problem, right? Why is it that you don't understand that, that women are judged differently than men and, you know, uh, women are sluts and men, you know, are players, mm -hmm. um, you know, why, why is it that you, you, you are unwilling to recognize the, the bias contained in that and, and the cultural history behind that um, is, is you perceive it as being a criticism. If I tell you that the reason why you do that is because your brain automatically does that because it's a coping mechanism that you were born with because it goes all the way back to the first humans mm -hmm. as a protective uh, mechanism, your ability to now think differently shifts. Yeah. Your willingness to appreciate that maybe there's something that we can do about it shifts. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's sort of the underpinning of what, um, what, what, where I start with this implicit bias research and looking at the history of it. The importance of it is that um, everybody's got implicit bias. And the research showed that investigators have it. They prejudge cases. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, over 60% of investigators prejudge cases. Mm -hmm. um, now, one of the interesting things for your listeners that came out of this is that um, when it came to issues related to sex-based allegations, so, mm -hmm. um, you know, sexual harassment, mm -hmm. um, it the investigators prejudged the case in, 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 in a way that, uh, that supported uh, believe women. So in other words, sex-based allegations are most likely true. 
And, 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 and the investigators who took this assessment or took this survey uh, by 60% said, yeah, that, I agree with that in some, some way, shape or form. Something um, happened. Yeah, they, that, that something probably happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it came to race, mm-hmm. when it came to age, when it came to non-protected class allegations, so things that, that didn't involve race, sex, religion, et cetera, um, that wasn't the case. And, and, and it, it was that they, they found, uh, for example, um, employees who make allegations are more likely to be contributing to their own problem. Mm. As an example of okay. something where they prejudged it and said, yeah, no, that's true. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the point behind that, and the reason why I bring it up is that the, the public education that has been done about women making allegations um, about sexual harassment, sexual assault has been effective. It's changed people's thinking because mm-hmm. no one would bring those allegations unless they truly believed them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, and that's how I view that. It's, it's not that they are true, but it's that you believe they're true. Mm-hmm. I don't know as an investigator whether it's true because I have to figure it out. I have to find the evidence to prove it. Mm-hmm. And that's my job. That's my burden. So I think that that's something important that, 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 that the general populace and frankly, even those who are specialized in this work don't know because I just found it out is that the education is in fact working and it's working on the people you want it to work on when it comes to sexual harassment and sexual assault. The people who are going to help investigate and and bring it to the court system. And bring bring it to the court system or deal with it internally uh, Mm -hmm. in their organizations. Now, I didn't study military, um, a military organization in particular, Mm -hmm. um, and that's sort of the next stage in things that I'm doing. But I think that, um, that it's important to understand that, that progress is being made. And one of the things that I don't want to see is progress you know, go backwards. I know that former President Obama says you know, progress doesn't happen in a straight line. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but this is an area where we don't want that to, that, that to lose that progress. How, um, how would we go backwards, Tracy? Like, what, what would we do to slow this you know, momentum down? I think that, that you know, in looking at, at um, H.R. 8, to 70, um, which is the I am Vanessa uh, Gillian Act of 2020, mm-hmm. um, that that there are some concerns around that. Um, you know, when when we think about sexual harassment, it is a civil um, it's a civil action. It's something that you it's a civil claim, um, and it has not a a something that is dealt with in the criminal court system anywhere in the United States, state or federal. There mm-hmm. are some things that that amount to sexual harassment. Um, like for example, if I, if I physically put my hand on you, that's an assault, right? Mm -hmm. So if I slap you on the behind Mm -hmm. and that's considered also sexual harassment, right? Right. But, and it's also an assault, but sexual harassment in and of itself is not a crime in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's some reasoning behind that, that, and I'm trying to think about this because when I read the statute, I went, "Mm, I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned about creating a crime out of, out of this, not because I think it's not a problem, but because of, um, sort of the, 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 the risk of it being tossed out as a law for being too vague. Mm. Um, when, when we think about crime, um, it goes back in history to when, when a criminal charge was brought, it was a crime against the King. We all belonged to the King and we were their sub, his, his subjects, and, and therefore 
um, a crime committed against me as an individual, um, a sexual assault, let's say, mm-hmm. um, which is a crime. Um, that is something that that was done against the gang because I was his subject. I was owned by him. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward to contemporary society. It's a crime against the government. And the government is of the people, by the people, for the people. So it's a crime against the people. Um, and so one of the things that we think about when we think about criminal offenses is having very clear cut elements. You have to have two things. You have to have a mindset. So it's called a mens rea. And then you have to have conduct. And mm-hmm. where this gets tripped up in my mind, just looking at it, um, sort of in a preliminary way, because we really do think about these things in detail and, and it takes time. And so my thoughts may change over time. And I want to make sure your, your, your listeners understand that, mm-hmm. um, is that you can't, it, 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 the way the law is written presently doesn't, doesn't give us very clear elements. Mm-hmm. For example, what is an unwanted sexual advance? Is it a, what? hey, sweetheart, Right. Whatever that person, yes, thinks it is to them, whatever it is to them. Right. Very subjective. So like, you know, the wink and the smile is an unwanted sexual advance when I'm walking down Santa Monica Boulevard here in in Los Angeles. A cat call. Hey, girl. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And some days it's like, hey, okay, I'm looking good today. Some days it's not so much, you know, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's all it's all who's who's doing it. Right. Why they're doing it. right? Right. So that gets to the to the, you know, who's doing it, why they're doing it a mens rea issue. What was, Mm -hmm. was it, was it a deliberate act? Was it a negligent act? Was it a reckless act? Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, can you recklessly do it? I suppose you could, um, you know, you know, the risk of doing it, but you do it anyway, negligently do it. I didn't mean to, you know, you know, Hey girl, you know, I didn't mean to do that. I don't know if you can say that. Um, I was talking it, to that person behind you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean you. I meant the other yeah. one. You know, the, I don't like blondes. I like redheads. You know, that one. Um, right, and yeah. then there's, um, and then there's the deliberate act where I'm doing this to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what we understand about sexual harassment? It's about power. It's about control. <clears throat> it's about privilege. Mm-hmm. I have the privilege to do it. I can do it because I, 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 I believe I can do it to you. Right. Um, it's not about sex. It's not about, you know, uh, the things that, that, that some folks think it's about, um, excuse me for a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but what it is, is, um, it's, it's, it's about, you know, uh, uh, controlling and, and exerting power over people who are perceived as less vulnerable, um, and, and over whom you believe that you have control that you can, and especially in a quid pro quo situation where if you do this for me, I'll do this for that, for you. Um, so, um, and why that's not a bargained exchange is because you didn't have the power to say no. Um, you felt that you had to do it. So, um, otherwise it would be a contract and legal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you need to be thinking about how do we define these elements? And, and a good example of this is, is sort of burglary. I like burglary because it's the one they use, you know, for the bar exam all the time, which is burglary versus robbery. Burglary oh, okay. has to happen at night. Okay. So if it's not at night, it's not burglary. Okay. It's a robbery. Okay? It's robbery. Mm-hmm. And it's only robbery if I entered to take something that wasn't mine. Okay. Mm-hmm. I had to knowingly do it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's typically a, a knowing purposeful offense. It's not a negligent offense typically. Um, and so 
I have very specific elements that I can prove and I can lay those out. I know what time nighttime starts for burglary because I can go into to the meteorological websites and find out when sunset was. Mm-hmm. I can uh, establish that you entered the property because we have footage or someone saw you there. Um, I can establish that you didn't have a right to be at the property because I know who owns it. I know who has a lease to it. I know that you didn't have permission to be there, right? Mm-hmm. That's usually the permission she said I could be there is sort of the thing right. that, that sometimes will be used as a defense. So I have very specific elements that I can prove very objectively. Mm-hmm. When it comes to some things like unwanted, we're talking about the reasonable person standard. What would the reasonable person similarly situated to that person who's making the allegation, um, n- knowing all information, think mm-hmm. about that? And the number of of differences of opinion about whether something is unwanted sexual advance is 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 just too broad. Like today, I may feel like, yeah, you wink at me. Go right ahead. I'm looking good tomorrow. I may not. Or if I don't like the way you look. Mm -hmm. So that's 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 a concern about this law. And. You know, I understand how this law came about. I understand that that this 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 woman was was, you know, based on all information I have to date, terribly wronged mm-hmm. by a failure to investigate. I think mm-hmm. that should be a crime. Failure mm-hmm. to investigate an allegation should be a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a duty as as uh, organizations um, have a duty to provide a healthy and safe work environment for the people that that we entrust to do the work that we ask them to do. And certainly for our military members, you're you're asked to go out and and to take a bullet at any moment. You're asked to defend our country. Uh, You're put in horrible circumstances knowing full well that you very well may not come home. I think the least that the military can do is to try to provide you with a safe and healthy environment to the extent that it can obviously safe and healthy has has is is something that is uh, up for grabs because you know if i send you to to iraq mm-hmm. it's not necessarily safe or healthy for you to be there but right. it's in the context of the situation right you know it, this kind of reminds me of uh, another interview i did with kate blanchett who had um the workplace violence assault where she was burned at work and uh it was the same you know this this coworker of hers, um, her sub or uh, well, she she raided him, but he um, you know, made it wasn't sexual assault, but he he would say things, you know, where to the fact that she felt unsafe, and it wasn't anything he did directly physically, um, but he would just you know say off the wall types of things, and uh, and there was not an investigation, and I I can't remember all the the details of Vanessa's um of Vanessa's case, but I know, I think at some point she felt unsafe, you know, and, and told, I think just her mother or maybe a friend, I I can't, I'm sorry, I can't remember at the point at this moment, you know, but it was, it was more than just at some point of time there is some type of inward, you know, your gut feeling of, I just feel unsafe and, you know, who can I tell? And I guess maybe that's, what the law is, are the policies trying to, to, to help? <laughs> I guess we, we don't get it right the first time ever, uh, but I guess it's a start, right? Right. And, and I think that, that there are some good things in that law. For example, um, you know, having, having your, anybody in the chain of command convene a court martial 
over who has supervisorial authority. And, you know, that would be the term that we would use in the civilian force, supervisorial authority over those people um, is, is, is a bad idea um, because of, of, of conflicts of interest. Um, you know, many organizations have a conflict of interest policy that say that you, you, you can't make any decisions about the, the, you know, the person who's made a report against you. Right. Okay. Um, or, um, you know, you can't, uh, in, 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 in other types of conflicts of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many examples that I could spend hours talking about that. Um, and so that makes sense um, that, that there should be some sort of independent process and, 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 and decision about how that should happen. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in many large organizations, there is a, a office, I'll say just an office, a group of people whose job it is, is to receive those reports, to assess those reports, and to decide whether to investigate those reports, and then to go through with that investigation. There are different kinds of of processes after that. There are just fact-finding, where you you just discern what happened and try to figure out what happened based on evidence, Mm -hmm. Um, physical, uh, you know, so documentary evidence or, um, you know, testimonial evidence, talking to witnesses. Um, The fact that, that Vanessa told family about her being sexually harassed, which is my paraphrase, um, is, is that makes the family an outcry witness. It corroborates the, the, the allegation. And it's something that, that the military would have, have known had somebody engaged in a competent investigation, um, because she would have potentially shared that as long as that investigator knew to ask that question, who'd you tell? Have you told anybody? Um, because that tells me that at around the time you did it, that 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 the allegation, you know, the conduct that that leads to this allegation occurred, or allegedly occurred, that if you told somebody else, that gives it credibility because you wouldn't be telling everybody, you know, uh, at the time. You you know, if it wasn't true, or you're trying to do something untoward, you might wait until way afterwards because mm-hmm. you were trying to curry favor. Um, so, so, you know, the fact that she did that, that was important. Um, the, and something it should have had credibility for, for, for that to be investigated. Um, I think that, that, um, what happens oftentimes is that, um, investigators are not well-trained in trauma. They're not well-trained in, um, disability, um, which can result from trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they aren't able to, to spot, um, and this is where implicit bias plays in. They aren't able to spot these things so that, um, that they are unable to, um, recognize some breadcrumbs where they're left and, and then and take the witness through a series of questions to obtain objective information about what they did and how they did it. Trauma um, impacts your ability to remember things in an orderly fashion. Um, you won't tell the story uh, possibly the same way every time. You won't tell uh, the story in chronological order. Like if I told you what I did today, I could potentially tell you in chronological order uh, if I can remember. Um, but but I, you you aren't gonna you aren't you're gonna remember the things that your brain a wants you to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, because your brain's trying to protect itself from that trauma, but also mm-hmm. you, you're going to remember the things that are most important to you, the things that resonate. For example, you know, if, if, um, you know, y- y- sometimes when, and, and this may be triggering to people, so I want to be mindful of that, but 
um, you know, if if in a in a in an encounter that is unwanted, that's a, an assault, that's sexual in nature, you might feel that hand around your neck. That may be the thing that you are fixated on, and not in a negative way. It was the thing that you remembered because you thought you were going to get choked to death. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that may be the thing that you're repeating over and over again. Perseveration happens with trauma, uh, where people repeat themselves frequently. Um, and investigators often will cut people off when they repeat themselves repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that investigators have a lot to learn um, about, and this is universally, about, about how to conduct a good investigation and how to be introspective and reflective about that, mm-hmm. um, you know, to know what their positionality is. Who am I? Mm-hmm. What makes up my person? I am a white female who has brown hair that's dyed blonde. Uh, I wear glasses. I, you know, I, I used to be 254 pounds. I lost 130 pounds. Nobody would ever know that if I didn't tell you. Right. Um, but it's, it's, it's a place I come from. I'm from new England. I live in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, uh, my sexuality, my, um, my sexual orientation, all of those things make up who I am and can figure into, to how I perceive things. It's my, it's my identity, my positionality. Investigators need to know what their positionality is and not accept this myth of, uh, of neutrality, impartiality. It doesn't exist. It's a cultural myth that we create that allow us to justify why we're about to do what we're going to do to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, it's something that it's at the core of, of all of our systems, right? Law enforcement, they're neutral, aren't they? No, they're not. They have the same problems everybody else has. Right. The judges, the lawyers, um, lawyers typically take a position, right? Um, but they still have their opinions. That's why the bar associations, um, the ABA and, and even state bars have created a new rule that says you can't discriminate against somebody based on a protected class in, in terms of taking cases. So you can't decide not to take a case because someone's black. Mm-hmm. They had to come up with that rule. They only came up wow. with it in the last couple of years. Wow. Um, wow. Okay. So everybody's got this problem. And Wait, but- so Tracy, I guess I'm having a hard time, right? I, so I, I take it back. I did have a couple um, investigations that I've had to do in the military. 15-6 is what we call it, um, where there was an issue. And as a, um, a third party, someone who wasn't affiliated with that particular unit um, had to, you know, uh, interview different people in that section just to figure out the facts, right? Our their facts and then come up with my own conclusion. But I mean, isn't it all about the facts? Like, give me the facts and then let's determine, you know, what our sentence is based on the facts. So you're saying that before we even get to that part, that that implicit bias is already hindering us from getting yes. what those facts are. Like we're, we're just tuning those out or we're not even taking cases because, you know, someone's black or, you know, like we're not even, we can't even get to the facts basically. Like in order to do a competent investigation, right. You have Uh to, you have to uh, not prejudge it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and as I said, uh, you know, over 60% of internal workplace investigators prejudge their cases. So, um, you know, they, they already come to the table with an opinion, but they aren't aware that they have that by the way. They, that, that came as a shock to some. Um, the other thing is that, you know, based on those implicit biases, those unconscious beliefs that are guiding our actions, it's going to change and shape the questions that we ask. Yeah. Um, it is going to 
uh, change and shape the the way that that we seek out information. You know, their overwhelming majority of of internal workplace investigators believe that that no physical or um, uh, no physical evidence, uh, you know, would support certain allegations, and that credibility, um, you know, is ultimately what decides the case. Mm. Now, that is actually illogical because mm. credibility isn't about belief. It's about plausibility based on objective factors. Mm -hmm. So for example, I said that the family was an outcry witness to mm -hmm. Vanessa. That is a fact that mm -hmm. is objective. She went to the family and made a statement that somebody can testify to. Mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe she sent an email and I don't know this for certain, but I'm creating some facts here. Maybe mm -hmm. she sent an email well, to her, her family because she was on base. Well, guess what? That's physical evidence. Mm -hmm. And that helps to establish, to corroborate something which makes it credible. Mm -hmm. um, internal consistencies of, of, of positions. You know, if, if I consistently tell you she was standing and she was leaning against her desk and her arms were crossed and she was mm -hmm. wearing, you know, a green shirt, then, then, and I tell you that over and over again, guess what? That has credibility to it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but if I don't know whether to ask you certain questions or I, 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 I have already had an opinion about something mm -hmm. and, and I don't, I don't challenge information. I don't ask the right question. I don't ask for the right. Do you have text messages? If I mm -hmm. believe that there's no physical evidence out there, that's going to support something. Do I ask you for the text message? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I will tell you that the majority of internal workplace investigators, um, are in this study. I want to be careful mm -hmm. in this study. Um, they, they believe that, that age and race allegations are most likely not true. Mm. Now that shouldn't surprise you, right? Because right. racism is a thing. Right, right, right. Ageism is a thing. We right. haven't educated enough about that. There's right. too much political rancor going on, especially when it comes to race. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's not surprising the fact that, that the overwhelming majority of the people in the study were white males between a certain age bracket, mm -hmm. um, who were heterosexual. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't surprise anybody. They're the ones that hold the power in deciding things. And, and, and I'm not indicting white males in any way, shape or form. Cause there's a lot a of, fact. <laughs> there are great ones out there, right? I'm, I'm making a stereotype, mm -hmm. but, but the fact is, is that the, the diversity of personnel is not there. So if mm -hmm. the military wants to go outside its organization mm -hmm. for these, these investigations, potentially, you're facing, uh, you know, and the external investigators are no better. I mean, I have a pool of those. I have about 80 that have, have participated in this study and the, the demographics on that are, aren't any different. Yeah. Um, there's some consistency about all of that stuff is that, is that you are going to have a much more difficult time out there because it, the military doesn't control those people. And they aren't members. They can't, they can't mandate certain training. They can't mandate certain conduct. Whereas, you know, the military can in fact do those things and they do it very well. If they do, if they, if they just would put it as a priority mm -hmm. and they would, they would create these programs that are informed, mm -hmm. um, you know, things that, that we run into all the time. One of the things I have a, a, a friend and a classmate who's, who's in the army. Um, and she just became a major, I'm very proud of her. Um, she's in my program. Um, and, um, but, but she, she became fascinated by queen bee syndrome, mm. which is that women, okay. Are more difficult on, uh, and, 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 and treat, um, sort of lower level in, in, in structure women, they treat them worse 
because of uh, yes. they treat them harsher in, okay. in comparison to their male counterparts. Yes. So, you know, if you have female military leaders mm-hmm. who are in positions of authority, you may think you can go to them and say, hey, I got a problem here. Right. They're going to be more judgmental. Yes. Potentially. Oh, that's a big topic of discussion. Oh, yes, uh, definitely. There's been some women who've apologized (laughs) on social forum for, you know, ever for being like that. And and, and again, it's experience like, oh, man, you know, I wasn't a mother then, but now I'm a mother now. And I was really hard or, you know, or there's always someone that's like, what should I do in this situation? It's only two of us. And she's me, you know, God, it it is pretty common thing. The, 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 the solution here, I don't know if it's this bill or not. I, I think there is a universal problem, and this is, this is based just on some anecdotal information, that there is a universal problem with, with how women are treated in the military. And we know why, because it was a historically male organization. It was a historically white male organization right. and um, still is to some degree. You know, I am aware of the issues surrounding uh, women of color and their helmets and their hair and the fact that they are developing receding hairlines. And but we fix that problem. <laughs> oh, I understand there's a committee that's that's playing around with that. But guess what? It can wait because the people who need to be at the table aren't at the table. So they don't make it a priority. Mm-hmm. Making this a priority. There is intersectionality problems with sexual harassment cases mm-hmm. um, and sexual assault cases. You know, right. uh, black women, you know, Latinx, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people who are, are, are not heterosexual have mm-hmm. a much harder time of it through these processes. But, but the processes don't recognize that. And I guess criminalizing something makes it sound and look like you're doing something effective. But if you aren't changing the underlying culture that is making this happen to people, mm-hmm. you aren't fixing the problem. You're right. just you're just you're just putting something more complicating on top of it, because out here in the outside civilian world, mm-hmm. it isn't any better. It's worse in mm-hmm. some ways because there is no control over yeah. the people out here. It, there's control. There is there is an expectation of some some basic norms of behavior um, when it comes to chain of command and 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 things like that that exist in the military that do not exist out here. It's a free for all. Right. So does that make sense? No, it does. And I mean, we were talking about it before and I was like, you know, um, my perception is, you know, military is the good old boy system. Has it improved? Yes. I really do think since the Me Too movement and all the the light that has come even before Vanessa's uh, tragedy. But, you know, there are higher ranking officials getting, you know, their time, they're getting pushed out, you know, due to sexual harassment or assault or, or things like that. So, yes, I do agree with you that I don't know if the military has more limelight than the civilian sector, but it seems like we are doing a little bit more to get some of those, you know, CEOs of the military out of, you know, out due to their conduct. Uh, however, uh, with that said, you know, I, my reaction was like, yes, we need other different eyes looking in because of that good old boy system or just because of the implicit biases of like, this is a soldier. You know, we have this soldier mentality, right? A lot of us are, I want to say brainwashed, but we're in a bubble. We, we train together. We, we, we have all of these similar stories, never have meeting, met each other. And, um, you know, a lot of us went to multiple wars and things like that. So it's just like, 
man, I, I'm, I'm looking at this investigation or, or this person in front of me who is a lot like me, but yet they, they possibly did something wrong. You know, there's, there's a lot of questions to be answered. So let's give them another chance or let's give her another chance. You know, so that's in my mind, someone coming from the outside, you know, they don't have that same character build that we've we've had being in the military uh it's just like hey cut and dry black and white give me give me the facts give give me what's happened so so and i just want to make sure i understand what you're saying Mm -hmm. so how 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 the offense is dealt with Mm -hmm. and and that there maybe there's more leeway because of 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 that um that group think that group mentality that that one sort of unit one body and and not wanting to cut off one part to to sacrifice and sac- potentially sacrifice the whole. Right. I think that instead of rather than criminalizing things in a, in a in a civilian system or even a, in a in a court martial system, then the solution to that issue is laying out specific um, uh, you know repercussions for conduct that have to be followed. Um, you know, if you do this, there's a finding that you do this, then this happens to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so that there's guidance there and it doesn't give someone the leeway to say no. Um, I'm not suggesting like a federal sentencing guideline, because I can tell you that as, as, as lawyers, we hate that too. Most of us, um, you know, that, you know, trying to figure out how to sentence somebody by adding numbers together and calculating and doing this algorithm. I, I, ugh. Um, mandatory minimums also we have found don't work when you look at the disproportionate number of people who who are sitting incarcerated because of of offenses that that are disproportionately affecting people of color um, and and people of um, a different socioeconomic status than the majority that are creating the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that you know I'm not suggesting that, but I am suggesting, is that we we need to first of all we need to we need to figure out really what is the problem we're dealing with in this situation she had a concern she raised it with her family it wasn't investigated by the military um, and then and then further conduct happened that in fact was criminal mm-hmm. okay and and you know I, my understanding is that that the um, the suspect, uh, the, you know, because he wasn't found responsible for anything at this point because he is deceased, I think mm-hmm. is, is what happened here. Right, um, right. You know, nothing, nothing's going to change, you know, the, 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 the murder of this woman. And I'm, I'm going to call it that um, mm-hmm. because of the context um, it, that doesn't, that this bill doesn't fix that, right. that, that doesn't address, you know, that doesn't address homicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the issue that is trying to be addressed is, is investigation. You have to look into it when you become aware of it. Um, and, and that is, is an organizational problem. That is, that is an infrastructure problem. That is a culture problem. Mm -hmm. And those things cannot be legislated and Mm -hmm. certainly can't be legislated by Congress. Uh, You know, these are things within the, the organization that you have to figure out what are your values? And then you have to look at your policies and your procedures for dealing with things and see, do they point back to your values, your mission statement, your values? If they don't, then you have to make them do that. So if it says that we treat all people with dignity and respect, mm-hmm. then you have, to, you have to have policies and procedures that indicate that you do that. Right. Um, ignoring things doesn't, doesn't seem to me to be consistent with that. So, you know, I think um, that, that this is very interesting. 
but it doesn't, it, 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 you really need to isolate what is the problem. And when people are acting out of grief or outrage, Mm -hmm. very irregularly, does it result in, in the right outcome? It's because you're responding with grief and outrage. You're, you're, you become, and I use this term very gently, irrational in the terms, in the sense of not in a histrionic way, but as opposed to rationally based on evidence and information. When you make evidence-based decision-making, you tend to have better outcomes. And I, you know, I see that they're trying to fix a problem that exists. I don't think criminalizing it is, is the answer yet. Maybe it is, but I think that there are other things that can be done um, that, that can help. But if you don't get to the culture, if you don't get to the mindsets of people, if you don't get them to understand um, how, you know, that, that human beings have value, okay? Mm-hmm. They're all deserving of dignity and respect, even the ones that have been accused of something mm-hmm. and, and have processes and procedures that are designed to, to respect that and to honor that. You're going to continue to have the same problems, whether you're inside the military or outside the military. And we have the same problem outside the military. And it might be worse now because it's criminalized. So people might be even more tight-lipped or um, indeed not ready to react. Uh, wow, I, I didn't even look at that. Because what, I mean, my opinion, the root of the problem is the the, like you said, the culture is the trust, number one, right? I, I don't trust anyone to tell my secret to or what I'm feeling to because nothing is going to happen. Or the person who did it to me is, uh, is has seniority over me. Therefore, nothing will happen. That's something that, you know, that person who got assaulted has put in their mind already, right? Because I, I don't know if they've tried or, or not, or maybe they did try uh, to talk to somebody and they got blown off, right? Oh, no, it, it was maybe you misunder, you know, maybe you didn't take it right. And they went to only one person, or maybe they went to two person to get told the same, like, oh, it was all in your mind. You know, we, we, as the victim, we just stop, right? We don't, we don't keep pursuing. Uh, and it shouldn't be all up to us. Uh, and not saying that I was ever a victim, you know, but, I mean, you would like to go to the first person and have someone in your corner. So I guess that's where the, the cultural and um, changes occur. And, and like I said, it's, I, again, from somebody who hasn't experienced it, it looked like, you know, yes, military has tons of training. We have sharp and, and cultural training. I mean, we have all of these things and people are like, this stuff is not working because it's still happening. But at least we have it. <laughs> at least it's changing. Like you said, education, right? What you said earlier uh what's helping implicit biases is educate education we have to keep talking about it that's the only way that our minds will have that nor that neuron change <laughs> where now it's normalized right so right. now we can think differently but if we stop talking about it right that's when we go back then i guess that's the, the steps back that we take right am, 20 minutes Right. 20 minutes of training is not sufficient. Um, you know, at about two hours, the studies show that 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 it starts to have some impact. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what kind of training? One of the things that we look at with implicit bias in and with the literature shows is the type of training, um, you know, regular sort of classroom based training. Not particularly helpful. What they found was it was a combination of, of that type of training plus um, sort of uh, either either um, perspective taking or, or identifying with the other. For example, there was a study done that had to do with dodgeball. In mm-hmm. short, what they did was they took 
in essence, a white person put them on a, on a team with all black players against an all white team. Okay. And what they found was that the white person started to identify with the black people on the, on the team because they were all against the same enemy, right? Uh-huh. So they, they, they had to join forces and work together in order to, 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 um, to beat the other team. And so there's something about exposure that has something to do with this. You know, if military was completely segregated, then it was completely segregated as to, 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 to sex. And that fed into a culture of, of, you know, women couldn't be in combat. Women couldn't be in this particular, um, you know, subset branch. And, and, and so there was a, a valuing placed on, on, on the male counterpart. Now, some of this stuff is changing and it's shifting and it takes time for this stuff to come culture. You can't change culture. You can change things that then ultimately impact culture, Mm. but you can't change culture and, and Mm -hmm. culture change happens over time. And people are immediate satisfaction driven. We mm. want it to change yesterday. Yes. Make it happen. Yes. We'll tweet. That's definitely the military. <laughs> yep. And, 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 and one it's thing coming. went wrong, right? One thing went wrong. Let's throw all this training to it and fix throw it. Throw out the entire right. thing. Right. We'll start over. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that, you know, what type of training is being done? Um, who is who is being trained? Are you training the right people? Are you assessing what people know before you actually do the training? Because mm. the training may be stuff you already know and you're not moving the ball. Mm. Um you know, and, and what is it that you're trying to shift? Are you, are you shifting values? Shifting Mm -hmm. values requires a heck of a lot more, more planning and, and effort and, and strategy than, than, um, telling somebody to treat someone equitably. Mm. You know, you're shifting long held beliefs that have been established through family, you know, oftentimes family indoctrination. And I say that gently and in the nicest way possible, Um, you know, and in in even sort of geospecific cultures, you know, Mm. if you're coming from um, from California and Southern California, your views about things are different than somebody who's from Alabama than somebody who's from New England. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people in New England don't understand, you know, I don't know what you're talking about generally. I mean, if you talk to, to Michael Che, he'll talk to you about Boston, but like going, going, going over to England, race isn't, isn't a thing, right? We'll right. ask Megan about that. You know, right, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things that um, that there are so many things that play into why people believe what they believe. And so mm-hmm. you have to ask people to be to, to engage in metacognition. Why do you believe what you believe? Mm-hmm. And let me see if I can understand you. Right. And the division and, and I don't like doing the di- division sort of conversation because but the fact is, is that if we aren't willing to talk to each other and engage with each other, then how are we ever going to ha- shape your opinion? You're going to be in a mm-hmm. silo just like you were in Alabama or just like you are in Southern California or in New England or in the United Kingdom for that matter. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that, you know, we need to be having these conversations. Your podcast is really important for that. Mm-hmm. I think that, that, you know, we, we need to read more. I think we need to, to share more. We need to talk more and going back to the reporting issue. The reason why people don't report in organizations is because of two things, mm-hmm. lack of psychological safety, feeling mm-hmm. like you can, and organizational betrayal. Mm-hmm. Psychologically, when the organization betrays the individual, and, and, and it can happen in very innocuous ways, mm-hmm. when it does that, research has shown that that betrayal is so injurious 
that, that it can impact a range of things. It can stop you from asking for the raise. It can stop you from seeking promotion. It can stop you from being even caring about being there. It can cause people to quit externally, you know, within, within the civil world. I mean, you can't really quit in the military. You get in trouble for that too. Are you but, not show up in trouble, like you said. Exactly. But, but the, 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 there are two reasons. And then the reason why people do report are, are also based on two reasons. Resiliency that the human being has resiliency and is capable of, of engaging in that process and a willingness to do so. And secondly, that the risk to the human of not reporting is greater than the risk of reporting. Mm -hmm. So we have to teach people to be more resilient mm -hmm. and, and to, to, to be able to stand up and to not engage in sort of social desirability traits. You have to be willing to, to stand up and stand independently, which is hard in an organization that, that, that argues and pursues um, a group uh, joint work together as one body mentality, right? If you're, right. If you're out and non-conforming, right. you're in trouble. Right. And so the second piece is the organization has got to grapple with the lack of psychological safety and come to terms and create structures that address that so that organizational betrayal can be A, healed and B, eliminated or mm -hmm. at least reduced. It's never going to go away entirely. Right. Huh. Oh, that was good. That was some good stuff. I, I know we're coming up on an hour, so I just have, uh, that was a very good you know, a conversation. Um, and I'm happy to come back. <laughs> I <know. laughs> I'll be happy to have you back. Uh, I, I definitely, I'll, I'll try to get some, some more specific topics that, um, you know, some of the listeners would, you know, like to kind of talk, talk about, uh, you know, legally, and we, we really focus on the sexual harassment uh, and such, but just, I, I, I don't know, I was, while you were talking, I was just trying to think of like, really, what's some, some tips, I, I, I guess we can leave like lady listeners, you know, when you were talking, it was more of like building a case, right? Like, are there text messages? <laughs> Is there an email? You know, if something happened to you, what shouldn't you do? Um, or, or what should you do if um, you, yeah. know, you, you feel unsafe? Here's, here's some ideas. Okay. The first thing is to keep a journal. One of the things that I loved as, as a practicing lawyer and as an investigator is if somebody keeps a contemporaneous journal of what they thought and what happened, um, that, that that is something that is liquid gold because it, it is, a, is a timeline of, of things that I can rely on because you wouldn't create it, you know, separate from it happening. I mean, it would be in, in, in sort of, um, it was made in real time and that has value and it has uh, credibility. The second thing um, to do is, is to tell people. And, and I know that that sounds really basic and simple. Like I can't tell people how, you know, is to tell people and, and, and to challenge when somebody pushes you back. Um, things happen uh, generally in numbers. Um, so when you have a perpetrator, generally they're serial perpetrators. They are not one-offs unless you're the first in a series, which is unlikely if you're if, if in sort of the circumstances we're talking. So, um, you know, women know. Mm -hmm. They know. They've heard stuff. Um, I find that strength in numbers is, is really helpful. Build um, networks. Build groups of women that sit and talk to the extent you can. Um, WhatsApp is great, right? So chat groups and, 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 and develop a network. Be a buddy to someone else. 
Um, in 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 the civilian workplace, it sometimes isn't isn't always the case that you can bring somebody with you to one of those meetings. But if you can bring somebody with you to a meeting with okay. with a, somebody in authority to report something, do it because you aren't going to remember mm-hmm. what transpired there most likely because of trauma. Mm-hmm. And and your brain is still trying to recover. It's it's in real time. You're perceiving things. Somebody to sit and watch and to take notes for you can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, I know that mental health is it has a stigma to it. You know that needing help has a stigma and and can sometimes impact pr- promotion and and career trajectory. But seeking out um, uh, you know, a, a therapist to help you work through these things is, is incredibly valuable. And I can't stress it enough. Um, no one professional in a system can be everything to everyone. As a lawyer, I could not be a, a, a therapist to guide you through something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't be your friend either. Cause I had to sometimes talk really difficult conversations with people. Um, so making sure that you have that sort of um, you know, resource available to you in some manner. I know online um, opportunities exist now external from your organization that you may be able to take advantage of in very discreet ways. Consulting a lawyer. Um, if you're going to consult an attorney, and I always recommend everybody consult an attorney if they have a legal question and you do it in the jurisdiction you're in, um, okay. there are lawyers that specialize in military law. Mm-hmm. They, they represent individuals in uh, because they have they have experience with military law or they've studied it in depthly. Mm-hmm. Seek those folks out. Um, you don't always need a woman to be your lawyer. Um, there are a lot of great male lawyers out there. I remember the military was primarily male, right? <laughs> there are a lot of really great male lawyers that will go to the end of the earth for a client. Mm-hmm. So don't block that out as an option. Um, they they want to to hold people accountable too. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that. That those are some basics, but but keep a record. Um, forward your emails if you can. If it's not going to violate a policy or it's going to not going to violate a, a code of some sort, forward your emails to to a private external site so that you know you'll have it if you ever get cut off from it. Print it out. Do whatever you can as long as it's it's lawful or it's it's in accordance with policy. Yeah. Um, you know, think you don't have to be your own investigator. But you do need to sort of think like, if this is happening to me, I want to be able to prove that it happened to me. So how do I do that? Download your text messages to your to your laptop, your personal laptop. You can buy a software program online for $39.95. Generally, it's typically what they cost. Plug right. the sucker in, download your text messages. Guess what? You've got them. And right. you can show the 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 stream of, of of communications, which can be really helpful, especially if if um, if that becomes a material issue later on. Right. Um, and the other thing is is if if you believed it happened, then it is real for you. So yes. stop questioning yourself. Women question themselves about everything. They say, oh, God, that didn't happen. That happened. Whatever it is, I don't care what it is. You stubbed your toe. You didn't happen, you know, because that's how we're programmed because of normative culture. If you believed it happened, it happened. So understand that, that, that um, you know, systems are, are systems. They, they, they aren't going to be great for everybody. Um, but, but the goal here is that if you don't talk, you don't say something, then nobody can do anything. Right. And don't suffer. Right. And don't stop at the first person that tells you no, or, 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 you know, no, that, that didn't happen. Or maybe it wasn't what you thought. 
keep going, keep pushing. Go outside. I know chain of command is a thing, but so, but, but there's another piece to chain of command, which is accountability. And mm-hmm. that, that's, that's, that's the other piece. I think that civilians think that chain of command is just the thing. No, right. there's a separate piece, which is accountability. So mm-hmm. hold that person accountable. Oh, you won't listen to me. Fine. I go up. Right. And I continue to go up until someone listens to me, walk right. into the JAG office right. and say, I've got a problem. Right. And somebody will direct you to where they need to go. And, and in title nine, and I guess I'll just say this in, in quick closing is in, we have this problem in title nine, which is, is, you know, you can't be uh, discriminated on by, on the basis of sex in an educational institution that receives federal funding. Mm-hmm. And so that's how sexual harassment and sexual assault, um, uh, you know, accountability came about in, in colleges and universities because of, of president Obama um, implementing this, this, this enforcement, um, along with now president Obama, president Biden, who now was the vice president at the time, um, who, who laid that laid out these requirements in a dear colleague letter, which have, have been retracted, but, but there's some things in place. They're not great, but they're in place. Um, that accountability came, um, where, if you told somebody that person had to do something about it. And, it. and that meant that if you told a faculty member, they had to report it up. Mm. And so creating an environment, a culture where if you tell somebody they own it until right. they get it to the right person, right. That has to happen. And that's yeah. an internal thing, not a Congress thing that oh. has to be made part of, of your culture. Oh, that's, that's so good. You know, oh gosh, just like any healthcare provider, like, yes, it's, it's private unless, you know, you're planning to hurt yourself or somebody else and I have to take it out. So, I mean, that's same, Hey, someone told me something that, you know, it's, you know, fearful to them. I can't hold on to that. I have to tell the next person up and you, you put that ownership on someone else. I don't know. I mean, that seems smart to me, I, but that's just me. Like, you know, makes sense to me. Right. I don't want to keep someone else's <laughs> you know, secrets are, are blow them off, but exactly. And, and you want to help. I think most humans want to help. Right. And, and, and I think we've been indoctrinated to believe that telling somebody something hurts them. It doesn't. Right. So, <sighs> well, thank you, Tracy. That was, um, I don't think we got to any of my questions, but <laughs> this is, uh, but this was perfect. And thank you so much for your time. And, um, man, the, the, the level of expertise that you have and all the knowledge that you just dropped on us today. Just having this conversation, like you said, is very important. And I, I didn't realize that, you know, we, we, we question, especially, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and having that racism talk, you know, what is it changing? We can talk all day, but what is it changing? So it's good to know that uh, a little bit of educate, well, not even a little bit, but talking about it on a daily basis is changing the implicit biases of, of, of people around the world. So we just have to keep talking ladies and thank you, Tracy, for bringing that to our attention. Good luck on your uh, dissertation on July 15th. <laughs> you will knock you. it out the park. Uh, sounds like you've been prepping for it and probably this was a practice for you. <laughs> so hey, it's good. <laughs> like, well, we'll call it that. We'll call it that. I'm sure it'll go fine. I'm sure it'll, it'll be, be fine. fine. It'll be fine. You're, you're beyond ready. So yeah, I would love to have you on again in the future. So enjoy your Monday and the rest of the week. Thank you very much. It was nice being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
If you are enjoying the podcast, please comment and keep updated on the Military Woman and so much more Facebook group or at the Military Woman on Instagram. Also, leave a review on whatever platform you listen to the podcast and thank you for your support.